What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child, we really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. I am sitting down talking to Nick Garcia from Teach for America. I'm excited about today's conversation. I think the work that Teach for America does is really, really cool and important in our city. I also think it's slightly misunderstood, and I will say I am guilty of believing some (laughs) misconceptions. And so I'm excited to get to sit down and talk to you today, and I will let you give your background. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. And I forgot to mention, even when we were just talking a second ago, but thank you. Uh, Jen was gracious <laughs> enough to be with us for our inaugural EduPitch event last week. Which was really inspiring. Oh, I'm so glad. I want to hear, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Yeah, I loved it. But thank you so much. It was an, an amazing judge. Our people felt just really privileged mm-hmm. to get to pitch their concepts to you uh, and a panel of, of, of judges. And so super grateful for you. Oh, that was so much fun. Yeah. And excited to mm-hmm. hear, uh, to share more about Teach for America. So thanks. Well, okay. So let's just talk about EduPitch for a second. Okay. So how did that, where did you get the idea? Tell us a little bit about what it is. In a nutshell, uh, we asked all of our, we started making an all call to our alumni. Social innovation is uh, near and dear to our hearts because what we see our educators go through on a daily basis is to better understand the issues that our students face. So they mm-hmm. understand the beauty and the complexity of the neighborhoods that they teach in. And then they have this opportunity to, or we challenge them to, to make a difference, um, to figure out what's underneath those problems. So EduPitch was the culmination of a lot of time thinking about how can we showcase the incredible work that our alumni are doing by basically putting on a competition. And yeah. so we talked about it as like a shark tank style, but it wasn't really... It wasn't cutthroat. It wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, right. it was competitive, yeah. but not intense. Yes. And essentially we worked with a number of different organizations to prepare our uh, participants to shape their story, to be able to name what the problem was yeah. they're trying to face. And then essentially they had five minutes to pitch their concepts to judges. Um, and we, we claimed a couple of winners at the end of the night. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I think it was really eye-opening, too, to think through, like, you know, there are, as in any industry that's a people industry, there's lots of problems because people are problematic. (laughs) Like, we just have problems. There's no way around it. It's just we all come to work and come to school with our own, you know, set of issues. And then the communities around us have their own sets of issues. And so it's problematic by design, right? Like, you're never going to be without problems. But it was cool to see people who have sat down and said, look, this is the problem that I experienced where I am. And here's what I think we could do to either solve the problem or at least make the problem easier to tackle on a day-to-day basis. So it's just kind of cool to look and see what people are thinking and that they felt 
emboldened to tackle a big issue, Yeah, which is the inspiring part. I think that you're hitting on something that's super important to the work that we do at Teach for America. And what I believe about educators more broadly is that we could pick almost any person from the campuses that you've led, the, the, the colleagues that you have. I feel the same way about my core members and alumni, that any one of them could get up there and share a story because they so intimately know the issues that our yeah, students are they facing. Know the work. But we also try to take it a step further and say, you are called as an educator to also be a leader, to be a leader for your students, obviously, to be a leader on your campus, but to yeah. be a leader in your community. Um, and it does, it takes boldness, I think, it does um, take boldness. to like propose something new. Or to even, to even say, I am a leader in my community takes a certain element of boldness. It's either inspired or it is taught right? Like you either know somebody and you emulate them because you're inspired by right. their leadership, or you have somebody that's whispering in your ear, you are a leader, you are a leader, you are a leader, what you're doing in this community matters. And I feel like oftentimes people who are inspired and want to emulate somebody need all, it's like a combination. Like they also need the voice in the ear saying, yes, yeah, you are no different. Like you actually can tackle the same stuff. You can like organize people around you to help you tackle that issue. Um, if you just tell people that that's what you want to do. So it was just kind of cool sitting on the judges seat, watching people who just, you could tell that they were like, oh, this is so unfamiliar to me. This is not teaching. This is me getting out there in front of my yeah. peers and in uh -huh. front of colleagues and saying like, not only am I a teacher, but I'm also going to lead in this other way. And I want you to help me do that. And asking for money is never easy. <laughs> it doesn't really matter the context. It's so true. Yeah. It's like never easy to ask for money. So it was just a fun night. So I thank you for inviting me to do that. I really, really enjoyed it. Oh my gosh. You're the perfect person for it. And so thank you and <laughs> yeah. to our other judges who are up there, Erica Prosper Nuremberg, Nick Longo. Uh, and obviously our student yeah, judge was awesome. phenomenal. So yeah, so pleased for our, for the event, for our contestants. It was a great event. It was yeah, beautiful. And for our community. We, we, we were really hoping to expand it in the years to come. That's exciting. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you came to Teach for America. Like many folks who joined Teach for America, uh, and I will say, I want to hear more about some of the misconceptions that you might have sure. had because yeah. we, should, we should chat about those. Definitely. But I wasn't thinking about education as, as a career. In fact, I was pretty set on uh, going to seminary. So I was a religion and sociology major as an undergrad yeah. in Austin College in Sherman, Texas. I uh, had an incredible experience there, loved my time, and was on my way to Princeton Seminary because um, that's what I that was very so excited to do. But along the way, I'd read Wendy Kopp's book, and she was the original founder of Teach for America in uh, 1990 mm -hmm. and was just really inspired. I was I was equal parts, if I'm honest, inspired and outraged yeah. about the book. Yeah. Because I sort of felt like, I don't know, that chip that you get on your shoulder, right? Like totally. they're talking about my community. They're, right. they're doing this work in literally in my school, the schools that I went to growing up. Um, and so I felt very compelled to apply, just thinking this was one step along the way for me to ultimately be likely in in uh, in the church long term. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, I, I fell in love with teaching almost from the you know from day one. Um, I taught fourth grade in Brownsville, Brooklyn, uh, public school one fifty six. Nice. Loved 
so many moments of it and so many moments of it were, were incredibly difficult too. But essentially when I saw the progress that my kids could make in a very real way and I transposed that or I compared that to mm-hmm. some of the other issues that I was dealing, I studied the theology of poverty and so I ended mm-hmm. up going to a lot of very uh, impoverished places across the world. And one of the places I had the privilege of working was alongside a group of nonprofits in Pajo, Manila, which mm-hmm. is uh, what was and still is uh the site of one of the the largest trash dumps in in the world. And so tens of thousands of people subsist yeah. off of this garbage dump. And I left that experience feeling like this mountain of garbage where people make a living off of right. is going to be there forever. Um, and there is a theological approach yeah. to yeah. ministering to people there. But there's a, t- and, and then I had this experience where there was this mountain of issues facing my students in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and to see them climb it, to see them overcome it yeah, uh, exactly. in just a short time really made me feel like this is actually w- the work I want to commit to for my life. And so I've, I've been with the organization ever since. That's a really cool story. So you get to the classroom, you see the progress that's being made. What, what did you think was the biggest challenge at that point in time? Yeah, my, I mean, my kids were facing a lot of issues. One of the largest projects... Uh, Section 8 housing in yeah. in New York at the time was right across from from where our school was. And so living conditions were just, you know, not not amazing. Um, so mm-hmm. my kids faced a lot of struggles both inside the classroom but also at home. I, this was 2005. And I think yeah. that the, the narrative even in the past 15 years has really shifted in our country. Even then, I think there were a lot of questions of whether or not kids – and I still get that. Like, oh, you taught yeah. in Brooklyn. That must have been terrible. That must have been so hard. And it's I like, crazy, it's, right? Yeah, it's kind of, uh, and I sort of take offense to that. Sure. Because, you know, my kids were just as brilliant exactly. as kids here. Um, yeah. But there was this prevailing ideology, and maybe there still is to some extent today, where they hear something like, oh, you taught mm. in That's uh, the where heart the bad of kids are. Exactly. That's, yeah. And That's so where I've, the problems are. It's where the crime is. So if I was yeah. to nail down one single issue that kids were facing, is just this belief that perpetuated everything. And eventually that seeps into your own mind, right? Like I'm not worthy enough or good enough somehow. You know, there's a really, really popular TED talk that Rita Pearson, who's a, who is a former educator gave, and I'm sure you've seen it. Everybody's seen it a thousand times. And every time I, I just watched it yesterday. And every time I watch it, I think what a beautiful thing she did to change the narrative that the students said about themselves. You know, usually people look at a failing grade and think that is an F, I am a failure. And what she said is, look at all the ones you got right. You're not all bad. You're on the right track. You knew some of it. You need to work hard at knowing a, a little bit more than you did this time around. That's right. You know, and changing the narrative of um, you're not here enough, you're absent, you're chronically absent, you're not you're not coming with enough words, you're not coming with enough support from your family into, I am somebody, I was somebody before I got here, I'm somebody here, I deserve the education that I'm getting. I mean, that's like a mantra that changes the narrative, but when you don't hear that frequently, when you do hear, you don't have your parents' support, you're never in school, you're chronically tardy, you don't have what you need, it changes what you think about yourself. Yeah, it's so true, it's so true. And among several issues i feel like th- those are the kinds of things that educators have to be mindful totally of to lead in a classroom today so how did you get from new york to texas i had a really hard decision point in 2007 so teach for america 
does ask people to make a lifetime commitment that begins with two years teaching in the classroom. And at the end of that two-year commitment, I had an opportunity to go back to my hometown. So mm. to work in McAllen uh, in the Rio Grande Valley, which is where I grew up, graduated from McAllen High School. And it was it was such a hard decision, but I ultimately yeah. decided I wanted to go back and continue this work uh, in my home community yes. and work with Teach for America on staff supporting and developing uh, first-year teachers. And did that for six years and then came up to San Antonio and helped with Teach for America's programming here. And for the past six years, have done that and recently stepped into the executive director role for Teach for America San Antonio at yeah. the beginning of 2019. So I will say that's one of the misconceptions that I had when I, when I was leading a school. We, so our school district partners in a very big way with Teach for America. That's true, yeah. My experience as a school leader, both as an assistant principal and a principal, was that our Teach for America teachers didn't generally stay in the classroom. They did two, they did their two-year commitment, and then they moved on. And so I thought that was the model. I never realized that they that Teach for America actually is looking for people to make a lifetime commitment to the, the work of education. Um, I didn't really know much about the program. So in my mind, I was like, man, new teachers require the most amount of attention and they require the most amount of professional development. And so we're dedicating an immense amount of support for people who are then going to leave. Mm-hmm. And that was a frustrating thing for me. Yeah. What I have learned since then, though, is that the model is you are a forever advocate for the work that we're doing. And you're set up in such a way that you can actually continue to impact classroom work from lots of different angles and lots of different leadership roles. And this is a misconception I had about my own career too. Like in my own career, I was very linear in my thinking. And I think I said this at Edgy Pitch the other night. It's such a good point, yeah. My career track in my own mind was you become a teacher and then you leave the classroom to become maybe some sort of academic coach. And then you can go back to school and become an administrator, campus administrator. Mm -hmm. And then after the campus administrator role, like the next rung on your career ladder is you work for the school district. Right. And after the school district rung, it's like, well, I don't know. Like you die there (laughs) or you become or you have some other ambition to become a superintendent, which I never really thought I would I don't ever want to become a superintendent. And so I really felt like, okay, so my track is classroom, campus support, district personnel. Uh, And that's it. Like there's no Mm. other avenue for me to do the kind of work that I love doing outside of that little track. When I resigned... I realized like, holy shit, there's a ton of things I could be doing. There are so many ways to impact the work that's happening in a school building that just weren't on my radar. And it wasn't on my radar because one, I was busy and two, I was naive. And three, nobody said like, here's another way that you could be accomplishing great work in education, which solved my misconception for TFA, right? Because that is what TFA does. Here's another avenue where you could be doing amazing work in and around education. I, th- I think that's exactly right. When you center on the problem or, or the issues that uh, are represented or that education faces today, right? Which, which I will just boil it down very simply that in America today, 
you can still predict a child's life outcomes by the zip code they're born into, which I think all of us can agree is problematic across the country. Sure. So if that's at the heart of what we're trying to do, then it follows that there's myriad ways, right? There's there's an unlimited amount of uh, of, of inputs that are leading to that truth today. Um, and so it's going to take people tackling each of those issues. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that will be the linear path that you're on, which isn't wrong for, no, it's for a lot it's, of people. That path exists. Yeah, and is a totally uh, necessary path of leadership and one of the, one of the ones that we encourage uh, for, for our participants. But we also recognize that there's a percentage of folks who are going to go through the program and realize, oh, I want to advocate policy at the state level. Exactly. Or I, I really felt a calling to go into medicine before that. I still feel that. Um, but I'm going to be mindful about the disparities uh, in access to the healthcare profession mm-hmm. or industry for kids growing up in low-income neighborhoods right. um, and then serve in that way, but let their Teach for America experience shape those decisions they make later in life. Yeah. Yeah, which is really a, a cool thing because I think that sometimes the farther you are from the actual work that's happening, the less you can kind of in a comprehensive way solve for the problem. That's right. Y- you have to actually have done the work to really know this is what solutions look like. Yeah. And this is how they tend to roll out. And so we have to be really thoughtful about the practitioner that's in the room that's going to work out that solution. And one of the things that we're, we talked about for miseducation for this season was talking through like, is school actually somebody else's problem to solve if you're not a teacher and you're not a principal and you're not um, working inside of a school building all of the time, then is it even your problem? Because there are a lot, I mean, we have, I think something like 85,000 educators in Bear County yeah, that wow. actually work inside of a school building. Mm-hmm. And that's counting like counselors, administrators, classroom teachers, sure. support staff, yeah. right? Librarians, nurses, all of them. And obviously in a city of 2 million people, we're only a fraction. So there are a lot more people who are not working in a school building than there are those who are working in the schoolhouse, That's right? right? Mm-hmm. So whose problem is it? Is it all the people? Is it just the 85,000 people who work in the schoolhouse? Is this their problem to solve, our problem to solve? Or is it like the entire city's problem? Is, is, should everybody be lifting? And should everybody be wondering? And should everybody be asking questions. Um, and so, I mean, obviously, I believe the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, the whole premise for this season was to ask people who don't necessarily work inside of a school building. I know your Teach for America core members do. Sure. But you're not in a school building every single day, all day long. But you believe that you're solving, you, you're, you're helping with the lift. Yeah, I hope to be a part of the fabric of a community whose answer to that question is yes. But why that's such a fascinating question to me is it's almost sort of obvious. Like, well, who would say, who would say no to that, right? Like, sure. that, oh, that's not my responsibility. And yet when you when you think about how we act as right. a, I was as, just as saying, a community. But the behavior doesn't, do, nobody would say like, yeah, that's it's just, on, just on you. Right, yeah. I th- yeah, so I think that's fascinating. Part of what I... Part of the, we have, we have something called the theory of leadership development. And so at its heart at Teach for America is this idea and belief that teaching is a profound act of leadership. Um, 
And, and by that, I mean, you're leading your students, but also the same kinds of things that you would do to be a, a leader of a team in the, in the for-profit world or to be a leader outside of the classroom. It's the same thing. You're setting vision, you're planning, you're executing on those plans. There's a lot that just goes into the act of leading kids it's, that translates, I've found. And at the, one of the beliefs about that theory of leadership is that those who are most proxy, those who are most impacted by uh, this issue need to be shaping the the movement for equity moving forward. Totally. Um, and one of the things that I wonder about why we still have that mentality is whether or not there's enough voice from parents, from students. You know, how much do we pay lip service to student leadership or student voice, and how much are we actually bringing their ideas and their opinions? Uh, to the table in multiple multiple places throughout our city, because I do think it's to sh- to to change, to really have a we are all in this together moment or or, or movement in San mm-hmm. Antonio. It's going to require people who might feel really distant from SAISD's struggles, sure. deeply understanding uh, the stories of our kids growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 the zip codes that are most struggling, and why it would matter. That's right. right? Like, and, and how does this impact me when I'm doing just fine? That's right. And my kids are in a school that's a great school. Yeah. And my community is a safe community and my commute is short. And yeah, like it's making sure that people understand why it even matters. Um, and and that that's not an easy task, right? Like, I mean, t- if we just talk about opportunity in general, talking about opportunity is – I just, I, you know, you started the conversation with the, the students you had in Brooklyn were no more or less talented, no more or less able, no more or less smart than any other student anywhere else. But they didn't have the same opportunities afforded to them, primarily because of where they were born. Yeah, that's absolutely it's, right. That's it's a little mind blowing. And you know, you talked about traveling to Manila, right? Mm-hmm. Carlos and I have had the opportunity to travel to Africa several times. And every time I go, I think it's so unfair that I was born in the United States. Yeah. Like, I just don't I, – it's hard for me to – I wrestle with, like, how did that happen? How is it that I got to be born – it's just sheer fortune that I – my parents lived here and I was born here and everywhere else are people who live somewhere – not because they chose it, because their parents lived there, right. and they—that's just what happened, you know. And it's—and they can't. There are so many big obstacles, and there are so many barriers for being somewhere else that they might want to be. Where we just don't—I ha- don't have that access problem. I'm where I want to be. Yeah, yeah, and it's by chance, right? And that's not fair. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I feel the same way when you when you think about how education or how the luck of all of these circumstances build up to make you who you are. I, I think about even my cousins. My mom was the youngest of nine. She was born on the uh, on the west side of San Antonio. Um, and for all of my cousins who similarly have no more or less uh, intellect or ambition or you know, aspirations, uh, my mom, like somewhat crazily, uh, it was two years after Texas A&M had started enrolling women, decided she was just going to go to Texas A&M. That's awesome. And that changed the trajectory 
yeah. of poverty in my family forever. Right. Um, but was just totally a coin flip. Just was totally. Uh, and so then I happened to be the son of a woman who sure. just thought she could Blazed do that when she hadn't seen any of her, right. her siblings yet. And again, I, I do want to stress that it was. It, she has no more ambition or pride exactly. or ability than her other brothers and sisters who came before her. Um, she simply had somebody in her life who said, you should probably do, do this. That. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's that when we talk about, I think people can sometimes wonder about words like inequity or injustice, but it, it it's those kinds of realities that are still true in America today where it's not necessarily your brilliance or, or, or your right. choices. Or your hot pursuit of ambition, right? right? Like it's not- But a luck of a draw. It is. Of. Sometimes it is that, you know? Yeah. And and then I think back and I think like, I need to do something with that good fortune. I can't just exist where I am. Like I'm going to have to turn around and do something about access wherever I am, right? And so that's where- that's when I when when I go back to my gut level determination to or my relentlessness around quality, excellent education, I really resonate with TFA's mission and yeah. vision. You know, and so I will again say, like in the beginning of my career, when I was thinking about TFA, I really did feel like this is not this is not a sustainable solution. And it's not helping me in leading my school because I have kids with the highest needs with great teacher turnover and it's not it's not helping me. But in the long run, in the long game, I look back and I think actually what you just said about leadership being a profound act or teaching being a profound act of leadership, it's a long game. It's mm-hmm. not about just what happens in one teacher's career. It is about how you are posturing to make sure that what is happening in schoolhouses is being well represented and is being acted upon in a way that's thoughtful and considerate and knowing. So anyway, that's my other admission. I'll just own it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you. I will say, um, I think two things. One is it does take time, I think, for for people to get a sense of what Teach for America is trying to do, because there's there's depth and, and, and nuance to it. Um, and I also feel responsible when I'm sitting across from the superintendent or from principals, as, as I did in 2013, when the district said to us, hey, you all, we invest a lot in our, in our educators developing exactly yes. what you said, only to have them leave. And at the time, uh, there was a moment in time where less than a third of our teachers were even staying for a third year. Um, yeah. And so we've worked really hard to turn that around. So now that 70% of our teachers That's will awesome. stay, which is just a, a misconception that I think still exists yes. or persists about Teach for America in San Antonio, that is no longer true. And I hope both of those things to be true in my head at the same time. Like we need people to commit to San Antonio, to totally. fall in love with this place and to to stay here. It's my hope that every single core member will do that. And and I know there are going to be people like me who came to San Antonio, but ultimately want to do this work at home. Yeah. And, and so I think that we walk that line. And for us, what we've tried to do to thread that needle is to say, we, we work to see that our, our folks have as strong of an experience and impact on students in their first and second year, that for the past three years, over 70% of them will stay to teach yeah. a third year here in San Antonio. 
Well, hey, like attrition happens everywhere. That's right. That's the other thing. It's like any new teacher to a classroom is going to have revelations about what teaching really is. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. a given. Yeah. You think you know until you know. And then you're like, I had no idea it was going to be like this. And I feel like that is 100% true for every teacher, no matter where they're coming from. Your first year of teaching, you will have revelations that sound like I had, I was not prepared for X, Y, or Z. You know, yeah. I was, nobody told me that. Uh, or this is, this is different than what I thought it was going to be. And so I think that in any case, in any scenario, coming out of any teacher preparation program, whatever it is, there will be people who decide this is not the career for me. That's right. So I'm not placing blame. Like I, that's going to happen all the time. It's yeah. a problem. Yeah. And teaching's hard. It is. It is so hard. <laughs> Let me it's tell you a so story hard. about my, um, before, there's so many more resources about social emotional learning, but this is both an intersection of like understanding the issues facing our kids and just how hard teaching is. So in the summer between my first and second year of teaching, uh, I had read this research paper that was about building empathy uh, for, stu for students in New York who had had to go to alternative schools for some reason or another. And what, the way that this campus did it was they assigned pets to kids to oh. build empathy and they were responsible yeah. for, you know, the, the training of that sure. other pet and the feeding of all, all the whole thing. Um, and so my big idea, and somehow I convinced my principal, <laughs> shout out, Miss Logan, absolutely love you. She said, sure, you can you can do this. So I decided I was going to get beta fish for my kids. Okay. And that we were going to have uh, a, a, their reading rewards like yeah. program was wrapped around their beta fish. So on my desk in Mr. Garcia's classroom in the back, there was this huge bowl that had all of the things you could possibly hope to go into your fish tank. So this big glass <laughs> bowl, the rocks, the castle, yeah. the plants, everything. Because clearly Mr. Garcia read... At, at, was reading level Z. <laughs> and so I could read a level Z. And my students, right. you too, could, when Got you get it. to level Z, you could earn all these things. So their fish started off in these plastic tanks, uh, the Ziploc containers. There's a lot I didn't know about <laughs> uh, beta fish and, and, and fourth graders. Mm. Um, and it was, it, it ended up being uh, this beautiful disaster <laughs> where <laughs> I had 36 children. There was 36 beta fish and containers on desks. There were many times where I was at the chalkboard and I would hear a splash and I have to like go back and scoop up a beta <laughs> oh, fish. And no. thank God there was a sink in the back of my classroom so I could <laughs> rescue the fish. Um, suffice it to say that a lot of beta fish died that year, uh, <laughs> which was, which was problematic. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was part of trying to get my kids to be inspired to sure. to believe like, Oh, I'm doing something for myself. I'm learning to read. And every time I level up, I get to earn something for my fish tank. But, you know, I ultimately <laughs> failed. And and that program didn't work out. And for me, that that's the, when you think about attrition rates, when you think about yep. how difficult it is for teachers across the board, you know, our teachers hopefully aren't instituting silly beta fish <laughs> rewards incentive programs. Um, but they're doing other things. And they I think it's, a, it's this, it's an incredibly noble profession. You hear that a lot, but it's also a really rigorous profession that demands we act boldly and, and try things, which is at the heart of what I would say we at Teach for America certainly try to do or live into daily, but it's just at the heart what great educators 
mm-hmm. are, are doing and who we try to emulate ourselves after. Yeah, I think teachers don't necessarily recognize all of the entrepreneurial skill sets that they employ every day with prototyping and testing and then going back and redesigning and understanding who their audience is and understanding um, how that shifts over time. Because the thing is, like you're, you can design something that works this year mm-hmm. that will completely fail your next class period even because it's a totally different group of kids. Yeah, From year to year, you're not serving the same clientele. They don't have the same background. They don't have the same experience. It's just a really complicated um, job. It takes a lot of thinking and trying and retrying and regrouping and thinking some more. Um, And so, yeah, I think, you know, and then you experience things where you, like the story you just told, where you know you're onto something and you think you have it worked out and then you do it and it just blows up and you're like, what the hell just happened? (laughs) Like, I can't believe everything. I did it exactly the way that it was supposed to go. Yeah. And no one cared or it just did not. (laughs) It's a beautiful explosion somehow. (laughs) It's a beautiful explosion. It's kind of funny, you know, five years down the line. But when you're doing it, you're like, I don't think I can do this. Yeah. I don't think I. And so people just end up leaving the profession, I think was the point is that the attrition happens no matter what. Like it's just just a complicated thing. And sometimes you come to it and you think this is actually not what I want to spend my time doing. And I'm always grateful for people who recognize that and who are willing to say, I think I need to not do this. Yeah. Versus somebody who's like, I need the paycheck and I'm just going to keep doing it even though I hate it. Yeah. You know, that's a hard place to be too. So yeah, I, those are those were the things in my mind that I was like, these are things I have changed for me over time is recognizing that attrition happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not always, it's not by design that people leave the, the profession. It's through experience. And sometimes that's a good thing. Right. Sometimes that's great. Yeah. You don't want everybody to teach. Everybody can't teach. It takes a special, it, yeah. So it's okay. Like I had to come to that conclusion of like, hey, yeah. don't be so hard on people. Like sometimes this is just really not what they're meant to do. And they needed to experience it to know that. That's right. And at Teach for America, when someone is at that intersection, I think what we try to offer is this might not be for you. you you're, you're more of a data analyst or yeah. that, that, you know, that, that's you're your, your calling. Or you're, yeah. Um, and so there are 500 alumni who have done the program across or sorry, there's there's 400 plus alumni who who are uh, across Bear County, and and our challenge to them is to stay committed to this vision that one day all kids will have access to an excellent education and whatever field you find yourself mm-hmm. in, medicine or law or education, um, to to plug in whether that's volunteering or it's through your day to day actions. 85 percent of our alumni go on to stay proximate to education yeah. in some form or another. You know, yeah. they might be a lawyer, but they're on so the like, school board. Yeah, I was just going to say school board members, That's exactly policy right. advocates. Um, and, and so our approach has been develop yourself, uh, come, find and attract leaders from across the country, bring them to a lifetime commitment for educational equity mm-hmm. that begins with two years in the classroom. And along the way, if the classroom isn't where they're going to be for their lifetime, help them have access to and provide develop continued development opportunities so that they can still make meaningful contributions. Because yeah. I do think 
my answer to this question is unequivocally, uh, schools are not somebody else's problem. They are the, not even the problem. They, they are the, they, our students represent a massive opportunity uh, yes. for San Antonio. Um, and it will take all industries. It will take all of us who are both in the classroom and like myself outside of the classroom now, uh, pouring our hearts and attention to it. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything that you want, if there's one thing you wish everybody knew about Teach for America or about teaching in general, that you want to wrap up today's conversation with? Yeah, I'm going to do three things really okay, quickly. One about it. TFA and two about just this broader question. So uh, uh, of, of whose problem is this? I had the opportunity to read a text that is just super powerful and, and, and I keep it with me. Uh, handy. It's by an author named Keith Payne. It's called The Broken Ladder, How Inequality Affects the Way We Think, Live, and Die. Um, and it really just makes the case for uh, why this economic inequity should matter to everybody. In and, and by extension, educational inequity should matter to everybody in our country. Um, and I would say more so for a city like San Antonio, mm -hmm. where we are and have been for the past several years the most segregated uh, by income in the nation. In the nation right? Yes. And so, so that's one quick plug. Um, I'm not getting paid Keith by Payne, Payne or anybody The Broken else. Ladder. That's right. Is it a book? It's a book. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You also get an audio book. Sweet. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's, it's really helpful. Another is um, this brilliant economist, Raj Chetty, and his team have started pouring over census data and have made that data available publicly. Uh, and one of the things that I've done in my spare time is really try to understand what this resource, the Opportunity Atlas, so you can go to the Opportunity mm -hmm. Atlas, uh, search for that, and then really just drill down block by block in San Antonio what what the history um, of of this has looked like for, for, for our city. Um, because I do think part of what is going to help us get to the next horizon mm -hmm. in in our city is, is just our, our, our broader community more deeply understanding our history and the reality uh, block by block zip code by zip code in Bear County. So what was one what what's one aha you had from from the opportunity atlas? Like what was one thing you didn't know before and you read it and you were like that cannot be right. Yeah. This isn't going to translate great on a podcast, could, but maybe we could throw this up on the yeah, website. Definitely. There are these two images of a map and you can see this in I mean the Express News had something about like the age at which you'll right, likely right. die. Did yes, you see this? Yes, I did see that. Um, it's your lifespan, your right? Life expectancy. Your Thank life you. expectancy. Your life expectancy. Yes. Um, and it's fascinating to see this sort of T across our city. Yeah. And so you can go on to this resource and see something like 30 years ago, what did uh, economic mobility look like for a city? And in these deep pockets of red, mm -hmm. this is actually just based on household median income. Um, there's this band uh, really across our city that has stayed true. You can see those yeah. colors now 30 years later that this hasn't changed. Um, and I think an aha for me is you can layer on the fact that our students who grow up in these communities are more likely to stay in yeah. those communities. Um, we haven't moved the needle on it um, in 30 years, if not generations. Right. Um, and I think it r calls on us to begin partnering in these specific areas of our city with more depth and frequency. Um, and so that's my, I, I think ultimately that was my aha is, Okay, as, 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 as the executive director of a nonprofit focused on education in mm -hmm. San Antonio, to what extent 
am I helping to raise the voices? Um, and mm-hmm. am I knowledgeable of the lived realities of people growing up? And these are squarely in SISD, yeah. um, who is our partner, our main partner district. To what extent am I knowledgeable about those stories? Do I know what it looks like to have kids who are, are growing up with a $10,000 median household income? Dude, I cannot tell you how encouraging it is that you have taken the time. And I know that this is I don't I don't even know how to begin. Like I just can't tell you how encouraging it is to to have conversation after conversation with people that sounds like I am invested in looking at lived experiences and understanding the systems that have been created that have diminished somebody's access to an opportunity, right? Like yes, people have come from 78207 and succeeded. And yes, people have come from generational poverty and broken a barrier and broken that cycle. But more often than not, those people are the outliers. You know, and and sometimes it was by chance. Right. Just yeah. happened to be at the right place at the right time. But for the mass amount of people who have been living in generational poverty, nothing has changed in generations. Yeah. And it's encouraging to sit and and talk to somebody who is in an actually really influential role in the education landscape. Because I don't want to miss that. I don't want anyone to misunderstand that you, Teach for America, has established a great presence in San Antonio. And it's one of, and, and nationally. And it is an influence, you're an influencer. And TFA is an influencer. And so to, to sit down and hear you say that this is important to you is really encouraging to me. Because I didn't always have access to influencers in the education landscape. I was just a, I was just a teacher. Mm. And I know I say, don't ever say I was just a teacher. Yeah. That, But in my mind, that's how I felt. Like I'm just the person carrying out everybody else's mandates and actually doing the hard work in a classroom. I didn't always feel like I had access to big thought leaders. So I didn't really know what big thought leaders were thinking about. So to sit down and hear you say, this is really important to you is really encouraging to me. And I hope that everybody else that's doing the work every single day is incur- as encouraged by this conversation as I am. Well, Jen, that, that, I mean, hearing you say that just means the world. And I, what, I, what I hope listeners might take away is I, I see you as a massive voice for education in our community. And so <laughs> to go from a place where you were thinking about, oh, my voice might not matter, or I'm just a, just a practitioner, um, to seeing the way that your unique voice matters a ton to our community is, is, is I think, just a, like it's a microcosm of what we're trying to instill in our kiddos, which is mm-hmm. you are this brilliant human being. Your, your voice matters. Your, your lived realities matter. Um, and we're going to get to a place one day where that is just plainly seen across right. our city, across our, 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 our country. So thank you. Appreciate being here. Thanks. So you said you had three things. I interrupted you. No, no, no. I did ha- I did... the Opportunity Atlas. And there was one more thing you I were going to say. I did have one more. And I was, um, I'll just, I'll, I'll add it on here. Cause I think it goes into what you were saying. Uh, if there was one thing I would want people to know about Teach for America in San Antonio, is we've been around for 10 years now. And I think we spent the first 10 years largely focused on, and, and perhaps rightly so, on the internal workings of our organization. We were, we were looking inside and making sure, you know, where will we put 100 core members? Turns out we're mm-hmm. going to put the vast majority in SASD and with a handful of our charter partners who we have deep belief in. Um, 
we were looking at whether or not our teachers were effective um, because we didn't want to be bringing people who you know, sure. couldn't actually make a difference for kids' lives. And now 10 years in, I think we, we, there's an SMU study that recently came out that, 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 that shows that our, our teachers are in fact making positive difference in, in, their, in their students' lives. Um, and and I'm, we're at a place where we're ready to, and I hope me being on this podcast even in signals that we're, we're looking to be partners more broadly yeah. in the education landscape um, and no longer just focus on is our, is our internal uh, machinations, are they working great? Um, do we have a strong program that's just focused on our own our, our own self-interest um, and being a good nonprofit in, in this work? Um, and instead saying, how do we partner with other folks so we can set our sights on some of these really big metrics that will mm-hmm. represent substantive change across uh, Bear County? Um, and so for, for, for me, that, that would be the biggest thing that I would like to signal for, for anybody who might be listening who has questions about Teach for America. I would love to sit down and engage uh, with you. Our contact information is on the website. Um, and, and more generally, if, if there's somebody out there who's like, I've got this big idea. I want to be, yeah. I, have, I have something that I want to share to this space. Teach for America, I think, is now going to be moving forward in a place where we're really thinking about the bigger picture yeah. in San Antonio, not just as this one classroom that happens to be a core member's classroom uh, succeeding or failing, but rather how are we all succeeding or failing towards the college persistence rates right. um, in inner city San Antonio, as yeah. an example. Cool. So people can find you. Yes. What is your... Go to teachforamerica.org, uh, San Antonio, and you know you can find me there, there on the website. Um, and that's the, that's the first place to look. Thank you so much for sitting down to talk to me. Thanks for having me. It was such a pleasure to be with you. I'll see you soon. All right. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education, 